It's your girl, Smanji, and welcome to another episode of Avocado and Honey. If you haven't already, check out the previous episode. It was the first episode of She's Talking That Shit because Avocado and Honey, we are weekly now. So um, on the bye weeks, I'm going to be getting a little bit more intimate with you guys and let you know where I'm at on this journey and all that fun stuff. So in that episode, I was talking about how I am brutally honest with myself. Um, I talked about the tragedy um, with Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and the others in the helicopter crash and more. So be sure to check out that last episode. All right, y'all, in this episode of Avocado and Honey, I am really excited to be speaking with the lovely Tanya Fields. How you doing today? I'm great, thank you. I'm so excited to have you on and just to hear about everything that you've been doing within the communities in regards to having better quality food. Mm. Um, so to start, I do want to hear your story on like what sparked the, the change and want to make a change in these neighborhoods when it comes to the quality of food. Um, so yeah, that is always, you know, people ask me about that story, that journey. I'm always like, how can I make this as concise as possible? <laughs> because there, there are quite a few layers to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I came to the Bronx really as a result of gentrification in my hometown of Harlem. Right. I was a young mom. Right, I was still working my way through school, 22 years old, and I landed in the Hunts Point Longwood section of the Bronx. Mm-hmm. And you know, I came to this community with a lot of the same biases, predispositions, judgments, whatever you want to call it, that other people have about the Bronx, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's always fun to joke about the Bronx. That's the Bronx true. is really the butt of everybody's joke. We're mm-hmm. dirty, it's violence, we grimy, all kinds of shit that you hear about the Bronx, right. right? I came into this neighborhood in the same way. And really for me, it was like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to take, you know, I'll be here for like six months a year till I graduate and then I'm going to get a great job. I'm going to move back to Manhattan. Right. And all of these ideas that a lot of us younger Gen Xers, Xennials, mm-hmm. older millennials, whatever you want to call it, that we had, <laughs> right. we didn't realize we were like the first generation who were guaranteed to probably end up doing worse than our parents, right? <laughs> right. Like that shit was going to be hard out here. <laughs> that you're not guaranteed by like 30, 32 to have a home a car, a nice yeah. career, whatever. Optimistic, though. Right, opti- but that's what I'm thinking. That's what's guaranteed to me, so long as I can get out of college. Well, mm-hmm. boom, I got out of college. That didn't happen for me. I got out of college after working my ass off with two small children, my youngest child at the time. She's 15 now, but at that time, when I when I walked and graduated from Baruch, um, she was only, like, I think, two or three years old, mm-hmm. right? And I was still hustling. I was still doing the same stuff I had been doing before. I found it very hard as a fat, dark skin, you know, super confident, probably slightly arrogant black woman Mm -hmm. to find a job in my field. Um, And so I felt very disenfranchised. And here I was in this community with these two small children and I'm experiencing many of the isms that we hear about the Bronx. I'm experiencing violence, I'm experiencing poverty. Uh, You know, I'm just one paycheck or one welfare sanction away from you know homelessness and then I've got this you know two-year-old daughter who's had respiratory issues from the time that she was basically born by the time she was six months she was in a NICU for a week around respiratory issues all that kind of stuff um, and then by the time she was one, she had been diagnosed with asthma. Mm. And so I'm the kind of person who I, I love research and shit. So now I'm like, okay, how are we going to fix this asthma? That's, right. that's how we're going <laughs> to fix the asthma. How are we fixing the asthma? 
And we so can fix I said, it. Right, exactly, right? <laughs> we can get some herbs, some berries, and we're going to fix it. And so I started reading about all of these different medicinal things we can do, um, how asthma really is a holistic condition that needs to be treated holistically, mm-hmm. um, that it doesn't just affect respiratory, but it also affects the skin, all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff. My daughter's got all kinds of allergies, all kinds of skin ailments like eczema, whatever have you. And so... Um, you know, I'm reading about the types of foods that we need to eat, having natural inflammatories like apples, right? So that's what that euphemism, apple a day, keeps the doctor doctor away. There's there's truth in that because apples are Mm anti-inflammatory. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to start pressing organic apples every day and making her homemade apple juice, all kinds of stuff. And I started realizing that in my community was very hard to find these things. Right. And I'm working, I'm going to school, um... You know, I got two small children. I don't have a car. And my, commu- you know, the community grocery store was essentially like a, a like a giant bodega. It was expensive. Right, right. It didn't, the fresh fruits and vegetables I had in there, it looked bad. Mm-hmm. There were, ve- at that time, 15 years ago, there were no organic options right. in the local neighborhood stores. I was just like... You know, I, I was I was taken aback by that. I found myself spending an inordinate amount of time just trying to go food shopping, right? right? Taking two kids on the train, the the gross the stroller that mm-hmm. we used, you know, for one of the kids. The other one, I got tied to my back, African style. Go like ahead. we was on our, we was <laughs> definitely on our hood tap shit, not hood tap hood tap. Oh, I love okay? it. Okay, <laughs> we was definitely on our hood tap shit. So, you know what I'm saying? I got my Air Force Ones and my head wrap on and the baby tied to my back and one in the stroller. And we would go to Fairway, we go to Trader Joe's, whatever. Mm. You know? And then I buy this food on my food stamp card, shove it under the, the, the stroller, mm. carry that up the, 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 the train steps. The, gro- the, sh- the stroller be so heavy that when the baby got out of it, it tip over. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then by the time I got home, I'm exhausted. Right. So I got all this great food, and now I'm like, what y'all gonna eat because I'm too tired right. to feed y'all? And I'm like, something about this has to be different, right? Mm-hmm. Something about this has to, to shift. I'm looking around here in the South Bronx. There's a community 15, 16 years ago, 17 years ago that wasn't being heavily gentrified. Right. And so I'm looking at quite a few, you know, lots, remnants Mm -hmm. of when the Bronx was on fire in the 70s, right? Right. When the Bronx was burning. Howard Cassell said during the World Series, the Bronx is burning. It was. People Mm -hmm. were just like, you know, you know, gerrymandering and redlining, redistricting, Mm -hmm. you know, banks, you know, participating in economic racism, not giving folks loans, Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. So, landlords and whatnot will just set shit on fire. Right. Right? Um, and so, in the 70s, the early 80s, they just be whole blocks that look like, you know what I'm saying, war-torn country somewhere, Sarajevo or something. Right. And then folks rebuilt. But still, in the early 2000s, you still have remnants of that that was still around. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm looking at what some of the old heads were doing during the 70s. You know, you go to the, the, the congressperson's office, the congressman's office, and you open up the the... You know, pictures, book, picture books that's got little Puerto Rican and black kids and wheelbarrows. You know what I'm saying? The abuelitas mm-hmm. and, and the big mamas are coming out and they're literally just planting plots of whatever oh, they I can see. on lots. Mm-hmm. There was no name for it. They didn't call it urban farming. They just called it surviving. They were just trying to make the best out of the situation that they had at that moment. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, we're going to try to make this as beautiful as possible. 
Um, and so, and then you start, and then you do see a movement of community gardening. Mm-hmm. Now, interestingly enough, here in the Bronx, we do a community gardening to try to do, you know, an organic boots on the ground, grassroots right. version of, of revitalization and renewal. Mm-hmm. But in other communities like Lower East Side, shit like that, they were using community gardens as a way to like exclude and 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 like keep certain folks out of the neighborhood. Right. Right. So. I'm I'm thinking to myself, well, we can we can bring back the good parts of community gardening, right? right? right. There are folks here who are already doing it. There are old timers who've been doing it for a long time. I want to find these folks. I was on a hunt to find Karen Washington. I was tracking Karen Washington for like six, seven months. Seriously, mm-hmm. I was asking anybody who thought they knew who Karen Washington was. Can you put me in touch with her? Mm-hmm. And then I find out that she was help. She was involved with um, some women who were trying to start a farm over in my haven called um, La Finca del Sur, like okay. the farm of the South. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she had been sort of helping them plant those seeds. And then I got in, I got connected with her. Mm-hmm. And I was just straight with her. Karen, I heard about the work you're doing. I'm a young mom. I want to do this work too. Yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. So that was like my first foray in the urban ag. Okay. Simultaneously, I'm getting fed up being in corporate spaces, right? I'm in corporate spaces. I'm an admin assistant. I'm an executive assistant. I fetch coffee. I do expense reports. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm telling these white folks, like, I'm smart. You know what I'm saying? I got my degree. Put me in the internship program. I'm being told things like Baruch didn't have pedigree. I would Mm -hmm. never be considered. I'm being told, why don't you just try to get a permanent job here? Because I'm a temp. Get a permanent job here, maybe four or five years if you work really hard, 40, 50, 60 hours a week. You might be able to become an yeah, you might be able to become an analyst, right? right. I'm like, I ain't got that kind of time, right. bro. <laughs> like, I graduated now, you know what I'm saying? Um, I'm getting static from a lot of these white bitches that don't like the fact that, like, if I was a Rebecca and I walked into a room, like, I just graduated, I want to be more than an admin assistant, I would like to at some point work my way into a manager I would be seen as ambitious. Mm -hmm. But I got words thrown at me because I got fired a lot. I got words thrown at me like arrogant, threatening, uncomfortable. I also check these white bitches. Don't talk to me any kind of way. Cause they had a habit of talking to you while crazy, mm-hmm. and I'm like, nigga, I'm from the, I'm, I'm from old Harlem. Right. I ain't from this new Harlem <laughs> that I got displaced out of. I'm right. from old Harlem. So Amy, I'm gonna need you to chill when you talk to me. And that's what I would tell. I'm, you know, I didn't tell her like that, but right. I, I really did have this boss named Amy. She was awful. With the code switch voice, right? Yeah, and I had another bitch, Rachel. Same shit. They would talk to me while crazy. Mm-hmm. I remember one time Rachel told me I couldn't go get my kids. I needed to stay late because she had to cook some. I don't know what. Jewish holiday it was, but she needed to go cook dinner for that holiday. Wow. She had guests coming. So I need you to stay late today, Tanya. I said, I have children. She said, but you knew that it was an expectation that you might need to work late. You can you can, you can can take a car service home. That ain't got nothing to do with who gonna pick up my kids. Right. I'm not staying late today. Right. I, your coverage for your dinner is gonna be on you. Mm-hmm. Two weeks later, I got fired. So what happened after that? So after that, I was like, I don't want to do this shit no more. Right. Like, and so I happened to have, so I'm working with an organization called Mothers on the Move as a volunteer. Mm-hmm. You know, I've graduated college at this point. I've met Karen Washington. I'm doing some urban farming in my free time. What was with it La like? Finca uh, del Sur. 
like learning farming did you have any experience with I have any before experience that? before that none whatsoever so I was think I, I have planted a few llama beans in <laughs> elementary school you know you wrap the llama bean in yeah. the wet paper towel and watch it sprout and then you put it in some soil I had done that before uh-huh. um I watered some my grandmama's house plants I don't know it was life affirming mm-hmm. you know it was hard I ain't even gonna hold you that's why I be telling a lot of people when they be like, oh, I want to come volunteer farm. Nigga, you don't want to come volunteer farm. You want to come take pictures at the farm from Instagram. <laughs> I definitely because this the shit, talker. Yeah. yeah, this shit is backbreaking. Yeah. It's backbreaking and it's hard. And it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. I got chickens right now. No matter what we do, we don't put up a lamp. We don't put up a tarp. I think they got a virus. My chickens are dying. And it's mainly like, because of the, the weather. The weather. Is, right? And it's fluctuating. Mm-hmm. Up and down, up and down. and shocking their system. Mm-hmm. Right? So urban farming has its definitely... Farming, period, is hard. Right. Right? And each type of farmer has its own shit with it. Whether you're doing aquaponics, hydroponics, urban farming, rural farming, mm-hmm. large commercial farming... It all has its limitations. It all has the shit that's going to, like, break. Sometimes feel like it's breaking your spirit, breaking your heart, breaking your pockets. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, so for me, it was backbreaking. And by the time I really got involved in, involved in La Finca, I was having my um, fourth child, mm-hmm. um, Lola. You know, so I was pregnant with her. And I'm farming. I'm out here farming in the wrong type of shoes. Right. I learned a lot about like what you need to wear, the do's and the don'ts real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one thing that I really loved about farming all over this city, mainly uptown and in the Bronx, was just the level of community, sh- right. co- the level of community and just like, I don't know. I don't say love. That sounds kind of cheesy and I like corny. That. I like but it though. Yeah, there was just a real amount of love mm. and community in it. There was a lot of shady shit too, right? Of working with folks, working with folks with limited resources. I got, I got unceremoniously kicked off of the 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 La Finca del Sur mailing list mm. and no longer invited to come out to to farm with folks because the person who did their PR was like, I feel like you're taking our things and using them for your own project and using mm. our language. And I'm like, sis, what? Like, right. this don't belong to nobody. This belongs to all of us. Absolutely, I'm taking what I learned here and applying it back into my neighborhood. Why would I not? Of course that. I'm using similar language because we got similar missions. Right. Like, you treating me like I'm an op? And I'm right. out here, like, giving my labor, my actual body, my sweat, my tears. And so that was, like, my first foray into realizing that all this shit was not avocado and honey. <laughs> not, all this shit was not rainbows and unicorns right. and, and shit like that. Right. Like, this, this, this shit out here will really have niggas, even in the spirit of love and, and wellness and community, will still have niggas out here acting like gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. So I tucked my tail and was like, all right, well, I don't, I'm not going to go anywhere where I'm not wanted or I'm being right. tolerated. I'm going to work on my own shit. And so I embarked in a, a six, seven year campaign mm-hmm. to get a spot in Bronx Community District 2 with the help of the then councilwoman Maria Del Carmen Arroyo, mm-hmm. with the help of community members like Joyce Campbell, like Infinite, mm-hmm. like, um, like, you know what I'm saying, Imani. These are niggas that put in real sweat, real work. Mm-hmm. And some of them niggas don't even fuck with me now. But I never shit on nobody that came to the table and was like, this is what we doing in the spirit of community. Right. And no matter how I've had a falling out with anybody, mm-hmm. I will I always, like, I always try to keep it a buck. I try to keep it funky. Like, we can have to be like, we can't work with each other. But if a nigga put in blood, sweat, and tears and mm-hmm. really showed up for community, I'm never going to shade you on that. Right. These are folks that really came to the table and for whatever it was whether it was a you know what I'm saying a season or a lifetime mm-hmm. rode with me to make this happen right and so after door knocking with Miss Joyce mm-hmm. on her walker 
Miss Joyce is one of them older people that know where all the bodies is buried. Miss Joyce tell you to do something, you do it. Miss Joyce say sign this paper, you sign the paper, right? People on Instagram and Twitter calling the HPD commissioner and asking him why he won't give us access to a lot that nobody's used in 15 years that used to be a, a community garden that Giuliani right. took away and they never did nothing with it. Mm-hmm. You know, the now councilman who at the time was the head of the community board, Rafael Salamanca, was making phone calls on the behalf. And you just had people out in the streets. Some people's names I can't remember. Some people that I do, mm-hmm. I do remember. But they, it was, it was, it was community. Yeah, was was I beating the drum? Was I leading it? Was right. I, you know what I'm saying? Like the person who was like, let's do this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I didn't do it by myself. And I think it's disingenuous when folks talk about the work that needs to get done in the community and we don't uphold and we don't amplify, we don't exalt the right. motherfuckers who was out there in the streets right. with us. You know what I'm saying? Right. So Everybody that, that, that was what brought me to that space. And then once we, once I, once I really started getting into it, I was like, yo, this is, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So I started figuring out ways to edge myself out of the uh, not the corporate right. uh, sector and found myself in the nonprofit sector, which was just as bad for less money. <laughs> I was about to ask, like, you know, especially coming from corporate, I already know, like, that little shift in security is just, mm-hmm. like, frustrating. So, like, what was it? How did you balance, like, doing what you want to do with the, the food systems and the work in the community garden and then also taking care of your family? Um, so I got a nonprofit job. I was working at Sustainable South Bronx as an organizer. Okay. When Majora Carter, uh, who at that time was really being touted as a very dynamic, articulate, fiery, passionate environmentalist, mm-hmm. um, was leading the organization. She founded it. Um, Majora's dark skin, tall, black, tallish for a woman, mm-hmm. you know, black woman with locks at the time. You know, she walked into a room and was like, Oh, right. It was like sunshine for me. Change I felt like I had right. I felt like I had saw the reflection of myself, mm-hmm. and so I went to go work for her with her. Um, kind of became a little bit like a protege. Okay. Like quickly, people were like, "Okay, that's Majora Lil Mini Me." Mm-hmm. You know, it was like when Malcolm X was under Elijah Muhammad. Anytime right. he did a speech, he say, "And the Honorable Elijah Muhammad says," and so I'd be like, "And Majora Carter says." <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, but very much like Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X. Majora and I came to an impasse mm-hmm. where I was like, the way you envision this world is not the way I envision this world. Right. I want to dismantle whole systems. Mm-hmm. Seemed like to me, you just trying to figure out how can we replace right. one group of people in these systems with another group of people. Oh, I and see. I ain't trying to get down with that. Right. Then her husband, who was a white man, started doing all kinds of wild, crazy shit to me in the presence of other people of color. I was supposed to be managing at yeah. that organization. Mm-hmm. Right. And with Majora's like, go ahead. And it was violent. Mm-hmm. Working for her then became violent. And that was my first fucking, that was, that was my first like lesson around check. that reality check that all skin folk ain't your kin folk. Right. And that a lot of times, those of us who are fighting for equality ain't necessarily fighting for equality. We just fighting for our turn to supremacy. <laughs> and I don't want no part right. of that. You know what wow. I'm saying? Yeah. And so it became very obvious that I couldn't work there anymore. Mm-hmm. I left. I left. I got a job working part-time and I made the leap to start uh, incorporating what was then the Black Project, which is now the Black Feminist Project, as a 501c3. And what was the the, the, reason for the change in the name? I wanted to be very clear about what I was doing and who I was doing it for. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So what is the the Black Feminist Project? Um, The Black Feminist Project is a uh, Bronx-based community organization 
that um, creates economic development and community development opportunities for black women and the children. Dope. And like, I always wondered like how, cause I know you're, you're doing amazing work here in the Bronx. Mm. So like for other black women across, you know, the country where they're in similar situations, like here in the Bronx, like what, how would you suggest for, to get started to do something similar? Like, you know, to get control over like the food and, I actually wouldn't suggest anything. This no. has been I'm gonna keep it I'm gonna keep it a whole rack with you. I like it. It's been a hard road for the last ten years. I'm in my tenth year doing this. Mm-hmm. I'm still not incorporated as a five hundred one c three. I have a fiscal sponsor mm-hmm. because honestly, it's it's better for us in terms of stability. You know, at some point we will incorporate as a five hundred one c three, or I might dissolve this organization in the next five or six years and, and not. And then right. not having a five hundred one c three makes it a whole lot easier to do so. Mm-hmm. Right now we have about you know, a little shy of $200,000 in funding. It took me 10 years as a black woman to get access to close to $200,000. Right. I've had to shuck, jive, beg, grovel, cry, mm-hmm. go out here, put all my pain on display, tell people shit about myself I really didn't want to. Right. You know what I'm saying? Ask for sympathy and empathy. Shit that my white counterparts do not have to do. Mm-hmm. These white bitches fucking leave Wesleyan or Wellesley or wherever it is they come from, Sarah Lawrence, mm-hmm. with a pedigree, they privilege, and an idea, and motherfuckers throw money at them. They open up doors, they give them office space. Literally. Motherfuckers just want to give me $200 and a fucking two-piece and biscuit to come talk about what it means to be mm-hmm. a poor black woman, and then they think I'm supposed to be so happy that somebody paid attention to me and my story, right. woo, 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 right out the door. So I've had to create boundaries and create opportunities for myself. And like mm. I told, like I foreshadowed with that infighting with other black women. Right. It's wild, crazy shit. I believe very deeply in it, so I've done it. But I'm now getting to a point at 39 years old, going into 40, mm. going back to school to get my master's, putting my oldest daughter, getting ready to put her in school, got another daughter behind her that I'm nurturing and pouring into for her to get into college or whatever her post-secondary, her, or whatever her secondary educational experience is going to be. Mm want to give my kids better opportunities than they have right, right now whatever the, that means in a white supremacist right. and, and patriarchal society I'm not sure if I'm really willing to give my body to right. this anymore right because it requires that you give up a lot right and, and while we yeah. on it it's like I kind of want to just go ahead and talk about the uh, the truck that you had started mm-hmm. was it about it was like five years ago I believe mm-hmm. so because I, I know you had did like a, a funding for that mm-hmm. and then it was like it was beautiful. Right. So I wanted, I really want to know to hear like, you know, what, what happened with that. And I mean, it's still there. We, we are still planning for it. Mm -hmm. It's still, but we backburned it. We got a write up in the New York times. Right. That's how I got to know the actress, Joy Bryant. She Mm -hmm. read it, became, she'd been a donor for five years. Every month she donate, you know, has come down, visited the farm, you know, was like, if there's any way for me to use my celebrity in the future, let me know. So, you know, we rent it, we rent, we debt, we still owe Grow NYC like fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars in terms mm-hmm. of food we need to pay down. All kinds of wild shit. Oh, that's right? what I was wondering with the the produce that you did sell. Like I was I, I was wondering if that was like the produce that you grew. Yeah, we don't grow enough to scale, so we definitely okay. had stuff that we pulled from the farm. Okay. But then we also had stuff that um uh, the vast majority of it, 98% of it was sourced from local farmers in New York State that were aggregated through um, Grow NYC's Green Market, mm-hmm. a wholesale program. Um, and they still want to work with us. I mm-hmm. mean, Olivia jumps on the phone with me every couple months. Like, all right, how we, like, what can we do to help you get this so we can get this food back in your community? Right. And folks know that the truck is 
um, the truck is is necessary. Right. But I'm rethinking the way that I did things. In 10 years, I've had a lot of time to learn shit. Right. And sometimes you let your vision get so big. And I came into a naive feeling like if you work hard, then everything you want will come to you. Right. That's not always the truth in a capitalist society. Very no. often, it's not the capitalist truth. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not the truth in a capitalist society. So now for me, it's like, how I get this chicken? And how do I get motherfuckers to give me real money for this? Right. Right. I got to, like, I need... I need a half a million dollars just for the truck. Right. And I'm only on an operating budget of $200,000. Well, that's bad maths. That ain't going to (laughs) work. And it didn't work before. I was living check to check with that. You know what I'm saying? I was robbing Peter to pay Paul and then waiting for Paul around the corner so I could rob his ass and get the money back. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, like Like, I was really out here really like I was I was out here it was my own version of trapping mm-hmm. you know jugging finessing right. trying to tr- trying to make a way for the hood and mm-hmm. I was like this is not working it's not working for me it's not working for my spirit I can't run an organization like this at some point it becomes transparent what's happening people already ain't really sure about you as a black woman right, right. right? so the first inkling they get that you're not doing shit on the up and up you Joanne the scammer mm-hmm. you understand what I'm saying like I had somebody fucking hit me up that bought something from me online was acting like I was trying to scam her for $34. And that happens a Sis. lot with only black businesses. Right. I'm like, girl, here is your $30 back. I'm right. not trying to scam you. It really got lost in the mail. Like, so I understand, like, I don't showed you the literal receipt right. and you typing me in caps. Like, nah. Right. <laughs> like, here, here's your $30. I don't want no static. Right. And funders are exactly the same way. Mm. Funders are exactly the same way. They do, really not trying to give you the benefit of the doubt. If you go at it long enough, at some point they may be like, all right, I'm going to give you $20,000. Mm-hmm. But if for one, whatever reason you said in your outcomes and your grant report, you was going to have, you were going to feed 200 people and have five events, mm-hmm. but you only fed 75 people and had two events. Now you're funded like, oh, well, what'd you do with the rest of the money? Uh... As if they don't understand just how fucking hard it is. To go out here and do this work. Right. Like, motherfuckers is out here really trying to fight whole systems. Mm-hmm. Systems of oppression. And you think that I'm supposed to change all that shit with this little $30,000 in a year. <laughs> Nigga. Took, like, y'all long, it took y'all longer than that to get us here. It, so. Right. Like, <laughs> and it's a system. Right. There are a lot of people who invest in it. We gonna keep it a buck. Shit, even the fu- a lot of the funders are invested in. This money ain't clean. So I'll be telling people, I'm not taking corporate money. Nigga, you better take corporate money. Yes. The foundation that gave you money, where you think that money came from? Exactly. At the end of the day, we all fucking sucking off the teat of capitalism. And it be- took me a while to even realize that because that was a battle that I was having within myself. Like, you know, just even the question of good and bad money mm-hmm. when it's just like the reality is like don't nobody got it's all wash money it's like drug dealing how 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 washed is your money right some of us don't want to take money right out of fucking walmart's hand i get it i'm not judging nobody right and some of us are like i want to get it from a foundation who got it from an endowment who got it from walmart (laughs) right whatever sis right i will take walmart's money (laughs) at this point in my life okay like you know so what you do with the money that you get is like i feel like where it's important because at the end of the day this is a system. So unless we have a real conversations, right? And it ain't happening on social media nah. where we're being monitored. It can't happen on right? social media. They not happen on this podcast. Because they listen Right, in. exactly. Hey, y'all. Unless we have a real conversations around what it's going to take to dismantle systems and those real conversations include mm. what you're willing to give up. I used to take the bus up to see 
political prisoners. Mm-hmm. Folks who are just getting out of jail and then dying several years after they get out of jail. Mm-hmm. Folks who are still in jail right now. Folks who got out and, and, and are still like being victimized and experiencing trauma and the whole world is changing around them. Right. And I remember asking Herman Bell, do you regret what happened? Like, do you regret being involved in the movement mm-hmm. and what happened that put you here? And I watched this man like who's been in who was in prison at the time over 40 years mm-hmm. hmm and ha and stutter and try to figure out the words mm. there was no hard no no regrets i do right. it again this man gave up his whole life his family gave up parts of their life mm. these were children who grew up without a parent Mm-mm. Y'all ready for that? Because that's what it takes to, right. to dismantle a system. Right. And then they did all of that, and we didn't even dismantle a system. The system just figured out a way to, to, to gave us some things that pacified us, right. locked up a whole bunch of people, well, got other folks number. on the run. Right. Asada ain't been on, 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 on American soil for forty plus years. Right. It's in hiding now because they trying so just, to. They don't reinvigorated the bounty on her head. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like, let's go back to food real quick. Mm-hmm. Okay, because with you learning more about like food systems and mm-hmm. everything and farming, I'm you know it's obvious that it changed your eating habits as mm-hmm. well. Because um, you lost over like eighty pounds, and that's what's just strictly um, eating better. And I, I wanted to talk to you because I it's like the whole like vegan thing going on. Like you mm-hmm. know, there's the argument that like vegan is the only way, and it's mm-hmm. obviously that it's not. So I kind of just want to hear like the changes with that, like you know, with how you were eating before and then afterwards, and then also just like incorporated into motherhood. Like how mm-hmm. do you? What is it like like teaching your children? Well, I didn't. I didn't lose ninety seven pounds just eating better. I had surgery. Oh, okay. So we there's a lot about health we still don't know. Mm-hmm. So much of our health, um, so much of our health industry is rooted in fear mm-hmm. and capitalism and fat phobia, which is rooted in anti-blackness. Right. Sonia Renee Taylor has an amazing book called The Body Is Not an Apology um, that's written in really um, accessible language. Mm-hmm. Some of the criticisms she got was because the language was too accessible. Because a lot of us like to write shit that we want to feel like we're part of a special club. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to use, you know, very high-end academic language. Right. That, no. Sonia wrote a book for all of us. Right. Right? right. You got a 7th grade or 8th grade education, you can read this book, but it makes it no less profound. Right, right. Okay, well she talks about how fat phobia is rooted in anti-blackness and mm-hmm. how so much of what we think we know about health is also rooted in fat phobia that's rooted in anti-blackness mm-hmm. right when we you know when i go off on a tangent talking about black radicals my coming to food is very much rooted in that as well right black radicals talked about food before white folks commodified the language right it wasn't food justice it was justice mm-hmm. Right? It wasn't urban ag. This was human rights. It was sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Indigenous folks been talking about sovereignty since the beginning. Motherfuckers chose to live on reservations so they could have sovereignty when white folks came and, and, and engaged in, in, in genocide, right. killed their, like, fucked up their food chain mm-hmm. and took and stole land. This ain't shit that white people created. They didn't create the, the right. framework for this. We did. Black folks did. Indigenous folks did. This is part of our ancestral fucking DNA. It's part of our ancestral memory. So for me, I let niggas use terms like food justice and all that kind of shit. But this is just basic fucking human rights. And it's very much rooted in black radicalism. Mm -hmm. Right? My boyfriend and I were having a discussion the other day when we were talking about whole, like, 
like going to find Whole Foods before there was Whole Foods right. restaurant. How the Rastas in Brooklyn and in Harlem, they had Watkins and and all that kind of shit. And we've been talking about Way this. We've been talking before. about this. Um, and so for me, I was eating a certain way, but it just wasn't. There were there were a couple of things. It's, it's layered. I was eating healthy food, but I was eating a lot of healthy food. <laughs> <laughs> I was eating a lot of it, right? <laughs> and quinoa is good, but if you eat three cups of quinoa, right. you still ingest the 700 calories, right. right? So I'm eating three cups of quinoa, two cups of bean, 12 ounces of, 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 of chicken. doesn't matter that the food itself is healthy. Right. The portions are out of control. Mm-hmm. Well, my portions are out of control because three cups of quinoa, two cups of bean, 12 ounces of chicken feels really good to your brain when you've worked 12 hours right. and you don't know how you're going to get your light bill paid. Mm. It's like a coping, right. coping mechanism. Three cups of quinoa, two cups of beans, 12 ounces of fucking chicken mm. does something in your brain that feels amazing. Eating, right? Mm. If you're a person in your life who feels like you ain't got a whole lot of control, but you can control what's on your plate. Right. Well, then that's what you default to. Mm-hmm. And if you're a person who is cash insecure... And maybe you're using WIC or food stamps. You might, they call in the hood, they call EBT, right? Mm-hmm. Eat better today. Because you don't know if you're going to eat better tomorrow. Right. So you enjoy that shit. We want to give fucking folks on welfare a hard time for going to the fucking seafood spot to get steamed seafood. Oh, niggas is eating crab legs. Yeah, but in two weeks, mama, they going to be eating ramen. Right. Let them live anyway. Like. Right, exactly. <laughs> and also, poor people deserve things. Right. <laughs> You too can go get some 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 some, some snow crab legs. Right. It may not be bushels and bushels, but nigga, right. you could go get you a little twenty dollar cluster and shut up. Like, right, right, and right, and, and enjoy it with us. How and at that? the end of the day, if you somehow feel it's unfair, it's not that person's fault. Exactly, it's the system's fault. But it's so much easier to punch down on poor people. I mean, that's what we're taught to do. Mm-hmm. Like you know, where everything is blamed on poor people. Mm-hmm. Everything that's going on, especially poor black people, right? That's, um, that's especially what poor I say black when I mean women. More. Especially poor black mothers. Right. Especially poor black children. Right. Um, and so for me, I was like, you know, I already was genetically predisposed to being a larger person. Mm-hmm. My father's large. My mother's large. Even when they weren't as large as they are now, they were large people. My father stands at almost six feet. Right. My mother's about five, seven for a woman that's tall. Mm-hmm. My father's always been sort of thick and athletic built. My mother's been athletic built. I've lost a hundred pounds. The hundred pounds that I lost don't look the same on me as some of the people in these bariatric groups that lost a hundred pounds. Right. I am still a big woman. I still stand almost six feet tall. My foot, I was joking, right, hello, okay? I was telling my daughter, I said, I lost all this weight and my foot is still big as fuck. I still got a size 11 foot. You understand? I still got a hand that can palm a basketball. Right. I'm a big person. That's just how I'm genetically predisposed. And black women are naturally just usually like that. Right. Um, And so for me, it was like, my life didn't lack happiness because... I was fat. My life lacked some happiness because I was trying to survive and and suffering mm-hmm. under a system that wants to dehumanize me for a right. myriad of reasons. I wasn't any less joyful because I was fat. Mm-hmm. I was less joyful because I lived in a world that wanted to punch me for being fat and right. then designs things, right, and creates things that excludes fat people. Mm-hmm. I wasn't any less productive because I was fat. 
I was productive because I lived in a world that has horrible messaging about fat people. That we stupid, we lazy, we lack impulse control. And so you find that people literally don't want to give you opportunities because you're fat, right? And at some point, and I know for, I'm a person who is deeply transparent. Mm -hmm. Even sometimes when it probably doesn't benefit me to be so. Right, same. And so I've been transparent about losing this weight. Mm -hmm. That yes, I lost this weight because my genetics also said, you're going to get diabetes. Right. My grandmother, the last 15 years of her life was... Really, she had no real quality of, of, of life because diabetes stole it from her. Mm-hmm. My mother's pre-diabetic, and as soon as I turned 35, I became pre-diabetic. My, you know, father's got heart issues, mm-hmm. heart disease issues, and hypertension. And every year, I saw my blood pressure. Even though there was no change in my diet, right? my blood pressure was going up. And even losing the weight. My cardiologist is like, I want you to see me every year. Just because genetically... Your EKG look fine, Mm -hmm. but there's something there that I want to keep an eye on. Mm -hmm. Having extra fat around my heart was not going to help me in that. I could still end up with heart disease, even as a slimmer body person. Mm -hmm. It's not just going to be diet. I'm going to have to work out. I got to build up stamina, right? right? Like, you talk about the stallion. I got to get Meg the stallion stamina. Facts. You know? So, like, I, I, for me, that was that shift, realizing, Mm -hmm. like, our bodies don't stay the same. Our lives don't say the same. So you shift with that, Mm -hmm. right? I was a healthy, younger, fat person. As I got older, being fat may not help my overall health, no matter how well I ate. But I also, two things can be true at the same time. Mm -hmm. Unless you a fat person's doctor, shut the fuck up, right? (laughs) Folks got way too many comments on people's bodies, especially fat bodies, especially fat female bodies, especially black fat female bodies. Right. Right? And so, for me, the rhetoric around food never changed for me. Mm -hmm. I'm not out here beating no drum that's telling every... Like, I'm not a person who's ever going to get online and shade my 300-pound fat body. My 300-pound fat body bore six children, breastfed all of them. Right, Two home births. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no medical intervention. Mm -hmm. My 300-pound fat body is giving pleasure to some of the finest men. You know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) that 300-pound fat body got some good boom boom. You know what I'm saying? Like, at the end of the day, I'm never going to shade my 300-pound fat body. Mm -hmm. She's brought joy. She's received joy. Right. But my life changed I needed to change with that right right um and so I hold space for that mm-hmm. that more than one thing can exist at the same time right. and if they can be nuanced mm-hmm. thin does not mean healthy fat does not mean unhealthy right. right and there's all different there's all shades of everything in between right it's a spectrum mm-hmm. um and and what we know so much medically we still trying to figure out food so much of what we know about about food is based in studies that were paid for by large agricultural exactly. food companies. We still out here telling folks we like vegetable oil is heart healthy. Vegetable oil is one of the best oils you can use. My my independent research, right, right, is like I don't uh, fuck with vegetable oil. Yeah, that's no bueno. It's the same. It's the same one that's now telling us that before told us that coconut oil was bad. That told us butter was bad, so that we can shill vegetable oil. It's whoever's paying the most. It's ha- right. Who is? It is whoever is paying mm-hmm. the most. So we still don't know a lot about health. 
even down to like the food groups too. Like when it comes to like breaking it down, because I think like the original food group, it's like you know, it was a pyramid. Like, yeah, the pyramid. It was the four food groups. Like the then grain, it was a pyramid. Right. Now, now it's how a does plate. Like, <laughs> right now it's a plate. Right. Like so, what? it keeps changing. Right. Listen to your body, though. Exactly. That's the best way to figure out what works mm-hmm. for you. Same right. Into intuitive eating. Figure no. like you know your body. Mm-hmm. You will go. I've gone into places and doctors have told me I didn't know my body. I had to fight for shit and then come back. This motherfucker who I had this Asian bitch at Cornell Will one time mm-hmm. when I needed to have an outpatient surgery and I'm telling her I have you know in your vagina there's something called a Bartholin cyst mm-hmm. it's right at the opening of your labia right because the vagina is the inside of the organ right, and the labia right. is on the outside some mm-hmm. of us don't know that <laughs> right the and so the, right the, right and so the vulva right on the inside before you enter the vaginal canal you have mm-hmm. these Bartholin cysts those cysts are um, responsible for lubrication Okay. When you get sexually excited or if you need lubrication to keep everything working down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes they can become infected over no fault of anybody. And they need to either be marsupialized, which mm-hmm. is where they drain it, or they need to remove it. Okay. I'm telling this woman, I've already had this marsupialized once already, and it keeps coming back. Mm-hmm. I need you to remove it. She says to me, um, I said, I was reading on WebMD. She said, oh, she said something to me. She said, oh, do you want to check it on WebMD first? And I remember looking at this Asian lady in her face. I said, are you upset that I am researching things about my own body? Right. I am telling you that this has already happened, that I've done some research, and based on the body that I am living in and presenting in, mm-hmm. this is what I think is the best course of action. Or oh, well, we're going to marsupialize it again. I said, okay, because you'll be removing it a month from now. Right. They marsupialize it in a month from now. I was getting it removed. Mm-hmm. Same thing happened with my daughter. They're telling me that my six-month-old daughter has an ear infection. I'm saying my daughter doesn't have an ear infection. I'm mm-hmm. a mother. I'm not a doctor. I didn't go to medical school. I didn't do a four-year residency. Right. But it's someone who gave birth to this child, who breastfeeds her, who knows all of her moods, different idiosyncrasies, facial expressions, mm-hmm. everything. I'm telling you that this is not a, a ear infection. I'm not leaving. Until her blood work and her urine comes back. If you want to sit me outside in the mm-hmm. waiting room so you can have the bed, I'm more than happy to do that. But I'm not leaving here until her blood work and her urine comes back. Mm-hmm. He comes back. Now he's with an attending. He's a resident. Now he's with an attending. He won't look me in my face. We need to hospitalize your daughter. Why do you need to hospitalize my daughter for an infection? Tennis said, who told you she had an infection? I said, your doctor right there. I'm doing the gun finger. Your doctor right <laughs> here told me that my daughter had an ear infection. Now, I can clearly tell he don't want to throw his colleague under a bus. Right. He said, well, be that as it may, she might have an ear infection, but her urine has come back, and she's got white blood cells spilling over because she's got a urinary tract infection, and for a six-month-old child, this can cause problems in the kidney, so we need to keep her here until we clear the the, the, the ear infection. I said, but... He said all that, and they called it an ear said, infection? Right. I said, I mean, for the, for the, oh, ur- for the urinary tract infection. I said, but y'all was about to send me home two hours ago. Right. And how you get those two mixed up? He did it. He was just telling me anything because he needed a bed and he wanted me to get out. And he figured I'm a young, poor, black mother who right. don't know as much as he does. And we've been taught not to listen. Doctors have been taught just generally not to listen to patients, mm-hmm. right? But they've definitely, because they've internalized their own biases, even right. if they don't think so, have been taught to not believe black people. Mm-hmm. We don't feel as much pain. Right. We always looking for drugs. We don't know our body, especially if you are black, you are poor, and you are a woman. Yes. I mean, they wasn't going to listen to Serena Williams, one of the richest black women, right. best athletes out here. They was going to let this lady die of a pulmonary embolus. 
that's been so interesting because that's been my experience with just hospitals in general and I never really realized that until you know mm-hmm. adult that's when I was able to put the, I never realized like why do I hate going to the freaking hospital and if you're fat even more so right because doctors become so obsessed with you being fat, I can go into the doctor with my fucking eye hanging out, and before the visit's over, he's gonna be like, so, can we talk about your weight? Do you think you need to lose some weight? I lost almost 100 pounds. I went from 305 in my highest to now mm. being 201 pounds. That BMI chart, that bullshit-ass BMI yeah, chart, yeah. still has me listed as obese. I'm, I'm obese, too. <laughs> I am obese, too. <laughs> so, you know, um... Like, you know, so I say all that to say that there are so many things about health that we do not know. Right. I think that what we have to do is trust ourselves. Trust yourself. Number one with everything. There are things that are, that we know from, you know, back in the day, old Southern people will say sugar is still your memories. Be Mm. careful because all that sugar is still your memories. Now we finding that sugar. Not we find it because we already knew. Yeah. But now science is finding that sugar might actually be linked to dementia. Mm. Right. So we know that there's some things that are absolute. We know too much salt is bad for the body. Right. We know too much sugar is bad for the body. Mm-hmm. We know too much fat is bad for too the body. Too much of everything. Too much of anything. Mm-hmm. We know that too little of stuff. Right. If you're not eating enough fruits and vegetables and grains, mm-hmm. that's the problem. Mm-hmm. And so if you eat intuitively, if you listen to your body, does it make you feel good? Are you feeling sluggish? Are you mm-hmm. feeling lethargic? Are you getting headaches? Right. Are you? Some of us may have more extreme things like vomiting, diarrhea, whatever it is. Well, then you know this may be something that does not agree with you. Mm -hmm. And that is a very personal thing. So for me, my health is my health. Right. When I talk about food, I don't talk about food in a dogmatic way. I don't Mm -hmm. say this thing is good, this thing is bad. When I do Mama Tanya's Kitchen, I don't say I'm only going to cook shit that's got quinoa and, and, and sunflower oil and whatever else. I cook a full range of shit and I give people, I trust people enough that they know their body, that they know that if they take my recipe for apple pie, these niggas is not going to cook apple pie every day and that's all they ever going to eat. Right. I'm not a bad person for giving you an apple pie recipe. That's Mm -hmm. just not, that's, I'm going to give you the calorie count. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you the fat count. Right, I'm going to give you all of that when I give you the recipe. And you mm-hmm. figure out. You may say, oh, no, I'm not going to make an apple pie. But I'm going to put this in, I'm going to put this in, 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 in I'm going I'm to bookmark this. Right. So that when I do Thanksgiving or have friends over, have a dinner party, oh, I'm going to use Mama Tani's Kitchen apple pie recipe. Or you might be like, I had a bad fucking day. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to cook this fucking apple pie and I'm going to eat half of it. Treat, you're right. It's a little... It's a little. And I ate it this... Today, mm-hmm. but I won't eat. I won't eat the other half of apple pie for the rest of the week. Like right. I trust people to know their body, and for those who don't, I give you enough space to say, "I'm not entirely sure what the fuck I'm doing." Right. Can I ask you some questions? Mm-hmm. And if I don't know the answer, I'm gonna say, "Sis, I don't know." Right. But I got this friend that might be able to ask you, or I know this website, mm-hmm. or maybe if you do a cu- cursory Google search using these words, sometimes niggas don't even know what to, a Google search is only as good as the keywords that you use. Yeah. Sometimes niggas don't even know what words to use. You just give them the words that they need to Google, and then they off. They got it. They come back telling me some shit I don't know. Right. <laughs> Trust so, people. Yeah. Right? Trust them to be the arbiters of their own fucking health. Mm-hmm. Nobody needs a team of fake-ass doctors telling them, you know, what they should or should not be putting in their body. And then the thing is, what I've learned in doing this work is that as soon as you do that, which so many people do, mm. you've lost people. Food is cultural. Food is intimate. Food is emotional. It's deeply emotional. Right. It definitely is. So 
so with Mama Tanya Kitchen, <laughs> how long have you been doing that? And what is it exactly? Is it just like a place to get recipes, mm-hmm. videos? Mama know. Tanya's Kitchen is developing. It's mm-hmm. in development. Mama Tanya, I'm a movement by myself. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right? That my, there's Mama Tanya, right? Mm-hmm. And there's Mama Tanya's Kitchen. And okay. there's Mama Tanya, the executive director. And now when you came in, I was working on Mama Tanya After Dark, okay. which is about to be my podcast and radio show Ooh. on Bonfire Radio. Yes. Um, so Mama Tanya's Kitchen is just one more facet of who I am, mm-hmm. right? This idea of a black woman who was just like... You know, like, you see how you came up here? Like, and then you, after this, I'll do some work. I'll mm-hmm. ask if you want something to drink. I'll send baby, give you something to drink. And then in a half an hour, I'll be in my kitchen. Right. And you can just record whatever you want. I go in my, like, today I told my kids today, don't fuck with me. Today is my day. It's Martin mm-hmm. Luther King Day. My day is service. I'm going to go in the kitchen. And I am doing just test, test kitchen stuff. I'm going I'm to cook two ducks. Why? Mm-hmm. Why am I going to cook two ducks? Because I want to. <laughs> I got six kids. This is right. where having six kids come in handy. But if I didn't have six kids, I'd still do this because I love six this. Kids know what duck tastes like, though. Yes. I did not have duck. I've never, I still haven't had I'm going to make but. two ducks. <laughs> I am going to make, uh, I'm going to make a chocolate pie that I've been wanting to test kitchen mm-hmm. for a while. Like, my single friends come over to my house and grab, in my pantry, grab little bags like this <laughs> and be like, Tanya, you got two loaves of challah bread. Can I have one? Sure can. <laughs> That's love. You know what I'm saying? I have four or five canisters of Trader Joe's cocoa. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just, if it's like, well, one, that is a, you know, that's probably part of my trauma, right? Growing up, being a cash poor family. My dad had a good right. job, but he was taking care of four kids on his own. You know what I'm saying? We didn't have the ability. My kids go in my refrigerator and just go in and get whatever they want. Yeah, that was in my house, reality. that didn't happen. You had yeah. to ask. Yeah. You could not go in the refrigerator and just take out what you wanted. You had to ask, mm. right? Um, we got a fancy refrigerator with an ice maker and it pours water and all of that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't have that growing up. Right? And so, and then like everything was, I know my father took out that big fucking stock pot, the black one with the little gray specks on it, yeah. and he made spaghetti. I knew we was, I knew, I knew it was tight financially. Right. Cause oh, now yeah. we're gonna eat spaghetti for three days. Yes, yes. We, I had those little trigger foods too. Right. Spaghetti or like this beans. rice and chicken. Fox was, was rice a, and beans. A big, big old pot of rice like and chicken. Four pieces of chicken shredded. You all take just chicken backs back in the day when we still had butchers, right? Mm-hmm. Your, my father could go to the butcher and get $3 of chicken backs. The chicken backs still have meat on it. Right. It's, it's not part of the chicken you want to eat, but when they cut everything else up and you got your premium cuts, mm-hmm. um, you know, chicken backs, you know, they throw it over in a bag. You can get 10 chicken backs, 12 chicken backs for $3. Mm-hmm. Same shit. My father take that joint, throw it in there with some chicken bouillon, cook it down with an onion and some and a couple cloves of garlic. You know, if he got some herbs, some thyme and some shit like right. that, then throw the rice in there at the end. And that was it. We was eating that shit for three days. We really are just like magical beings. We yep. just make it happen, y'all. And so for me, Mama Tanya's Kitchen was how do we take that same ingenuity mm-hmm. that for a lot of us was a trigger and flip it with our little fucking hipster, artisanal, right. bougie ass shit now. Say, okay, all right, well, I'm going to take $12 and I'm going to order some shit from Amazon Prime so I got it in my pantry. Or maybe not Amazon Prime, whatever. I know mm-hmm. niggas don't really be fucking with Amazon, but new rule order, you can't get around it. Or <laughs> fucking Amazon Prime, or whatever. <laughs> and here's what I can buy locally, right? Mm-hmm. All of us not going to be able to afford a CSA. CSAs, even for those who have weekly... Where you can, and for folks, for listeners who may not know, CSA is a community-supported agriculture. Mm -hmm. So what it is, is in order to support farmers, in order to support 
local farmers, a farmer will say, well, I'm going to make, I'm going to grow food for, let's say, 50 people. Right. 50 people can give me $700 for the season up front. It's good faith. That will allow me to now then grow all these crops for you mm-hmm. for 10 weeks or 12 weeks. Well, some of us can't do $700, $800, $1,000 front. Right. Farmers understand that, and some of them are like, okay, we'll give you a weekly share. You would do a weekly share for mm-hmm. $75 a week. Some folks ain't got that. Right. So for me, Mama Tiny's Kitchen is like, what equipment should you always have? Make the investment in that. Okay. What shit you always have in your pantry because you could always make magic, right? Like, I'm getting ready to do a post on my Patreon, mm-hmm. right? Like, the 10 things you should always have in your pantry. You always got these things. Even if you ain't really got a whole life, you just got some veggies and a handful of rice. Nigga, you can work something out. Yes, you can. Right? Because a lot of times, it's not even about what you cook. It's about the flavor profile yes, of what you cook. Yes. <laughs> it's about the flavor profile. Yes. Niggas didn't want to eat spaghetti for three days because after the third, on the second day, you don't want the flavor profile of spaghetti anymore. Right? Like, and even, right, even, even meal prep. Right. I'm like, for me, his, like, I don't want to eat the same shit all week, so I'm not doing meal prep this week. Mm -hmm. Right? Last week I did meal prep. I said my base is going to be quinoa and black beans. Right. I'm going to do quinoa and black beans. I'm going to make an avocado puree. As long as I have that as the base. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to cook three different types of protein. I'm going to cook some shrimp. I'm going to cook some fish. And I'm going to cook some, some chicken. I feel like that's important, too, when it comes to just, like, meal prepping and, mm-hmm. and just, like, I guess, planning on eating mm-hmm. healthier. It's just knowing that you're going to get tired of eating the same thing over mm-hmm. and over. So plan for a variety of things. Right. And then it's like, okay, so now it's not boring because this day I had fish. The other day I had shrimp. Right. One day I put a little sesame oil on it. The next day I put an avocado puree. That sesame oil change a lot. Sesame oil. I tell people, if you have nothing else, have sesame oil in your motherfucking <laughs> yeah, pantry. Yeah, that sesame. Do some things. Put sesame food. oil in your pantry. Yeah. Because that little vegetable stir fry you thought you didn't want, you throw some soy sauce, some sesame little, oil in that motherfucker. You're down, like, yo. oh, <laughs> throw a little honey in there, a little teaspoon of honey. you like, oh. Noted. You want to get real fancy, throw some sesame seeds on top, add your little crunch. Noted. Right, and throw that shit over some 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 spring mix. So you got raw greens on top of your cooked greens. You're getting your nutrients, and carbs are not the enemy. Right, resilient starch is gonna help you break down your fat. Mm-hmm. You want complex carbs, so eat brown rice. You can't eat brown rice right away. Mm-hmm. Okay, mix it with some white rice. Right, because at all your taste, your preferences does not happen in a vacuum. Right. I used to have a friend who was like, I don't like baked macaroni and cheese. She only wanted to eat box macaroni and cheese. Wow. That seemed like some weird ass white shit to me. Yeah. But she's black. She was like, I don't eat baked macaroni and cheese. You know why? Because she never grew up eating baked macaroni right. and cheese. She grew up eating box macaroni and cheese. It was an after school snack. Mm-hmm. It's what her mother made, Velveeta. Like that was a real meal. So baked macaroni and cheese tastes weird to her. Okay. Like all none of this shit happens in a vacuum. Right. Some of the shit I eat now, you could have never told me ten years ago I was gonna eat. Same. But I kept eating it. I kept giving you gotta give yourself at least ten times to try something. Okay. If after the tenth time you don't like it, and I'm serious, that's a real number. I didn't pull it out of my ass. Mm-hmm. I read that. It takes about ten times before you can decide whether or not you really don't like something. Mm. When I needed to take the sugar out of my coffee, because that's why I was ingesting a lot of sugar, like a lot of black folks were up in the hood, I like my coffee light and sweet. I go and I want light and sweet. I want it looking, it's like, it's actually like, it's coffee milk. Yeah. It's mostly milk, a little bit of coffee, and like four fucking sugars in there. Yeah. A tablespoon of sugar has close to 100 calories in it. I didn't even know that. So if I'm putting four tablespoons of sugar in a coffee, I've drank 400 calories. Niggas don't know that. Mm-hmm. 
And it's 400 calories that my body can't do nothing with. Right. It's not going to process that right away because mm-hmm. it's still trying to process the protein that I'm ingesting. It's still processing the carbs. Mm-hmm. And if it don't get through all the carbs, then that turns to sugar. And then that becomes, and that gets stored and that right. becomes fat. And then the 400, that automatically, that was already in the bank yeah. for fat. Yeah. And so that's when you stop carrying some of that excess weight that, yeah, don't have nothing to do with genetics. It just has to do with... Uh, uh, imbalance in your eating. I don't even like to call it poor eating habits mm. because that in and of itself is a loaded term. Right. It's an imbalance. Right. And we got to figure out intuitive eating is going to help us figure out where that imbalance is. Mm-hmm. So it's not about making a poor decision. It's not you got a bad eating habit. There's an imbalance somewhere. There might be an imbalance in your brain makeup neurologically. Right. There might be an imbalance chemically. Mm-hmm. There might be an imbalance emotionally. Because food is a deeply emotional thing. Mm -hmm. So when you can correct those imbalances, when you can say to yourself, food or the types of food that I like might actually be, right, or the types of food I don't like actually might be tied to a trigger or trauma or some sort of like, some sort of wonky coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. Well, then you can shift. I had to drink coffee 10 times, no sugar, before I started saying I would give myself sugar and coffee. So now when I put in a teaspoon, and I know what a teaspoon looks like now. A teaspoon is from here to here. Yeah. From this part of your finger, that 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 line right at the top the of your line. index finger, the first line at mm-hmm. the top, to you to the to the bottom of your of your right before your nail starts. Mm-hmm. That's a teaspoon. So I know what that looks like. All right, that's a teaspoon. Well now coffee be t- oh this is good. It's nice and sweet. Yeah. Oh, I okay. <laughs> it's like super sweet now. If it's just right. a little bit more. But I can drink, I can drink coffee with no sugar in it, as long as you give me a little cream. Now, my, my grandmother, rest her soul, and my father, her son, mm-hmm. they straight, because he grew up, watch his mother drink black coffee. He drinks black coffee. He's never taken nothing in his coffee. He appreciates a good cup of coffee. He can tell you when coffee tastes good, coffee don't. I can't tell you that because I already put milk in it. Right. And I put a teaspoon of sugar. Yeah. And as long as them two things taste good together, like coffee, coffee, I eat too. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> you know? You know, it's all about these preferences don't happen in a vacuum. Right. They don't happen in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. They're all colored by traumas and triggers and emotions and cultural experiences. Right, right. There's certain things you smell that make you think of shit that happened when you were in your childhood. Yeah. Now, if that's a good thing, oh, you want that. If right. it reminds you of something that was bad, your body will have a visceral reaction, mm-hmm. gag reflex, all kinds of stuff. Right. So, you know, it's all of those things that make up what our preferences are. Mm-hmm. So you can change what those preferences are. If you identify that A, it's important for you right. to do so, and then B, what is go- what what might be served should you do that? Mm-hmm. So before, um, I have like one more question. Mm-hmm. Because, like two. Mm-hmm. Because you, you know, you... You, I'm pretty sure you've been called like intimidating and all that stuff a lot. I've been and I'm pretty worse sure. than that girl, but okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like you know that usually just comes from people who like you know just have insecurity within mm-hmm. themselves or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like my where I'm going with this is just like, has you have you always been this way or was this like something learned like the empowerment that you have like the no the I've always been, I, I was always this way it just wasn't finessed right. right? I was one of those kids who was very chatty, mm-hmm. um, didn't always know when to step back and let other people speak. Oh, I see. Got a lot of validation mm-hmm. from getting things right. 
Um, are you, you, you definitely an earth sign. I am definitely an earth sign. I'm a Virgo. Oh, Virgo. Yeah. That's what I was thinking, My too. My man is a Capricorn. I was yeah. thinking Virgo. I don't know why. I didn't see um, <laughs> definitely always want to be the smartest person in the room. And if I'm not, I feel deep, deep. Because I'm not always the smartest person in the room. Right. People know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. No, I'm no guilt. I'm, I'm deeply turned on. And not always in a sexual way. Right. But I fall very deeply in love or, in am, or am in am with people who are very smart. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also make me feel, I always feel like, my brilliance is diminished when I'm in a room with someone who's more brilliant at something else. Right. Right. Um, and so when I was younger, that was hard. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I didn't have the life experience or the language or whatever to really try to figure out what to do with that. As I got older, it was hard for me sometimes to maintain friendships. Mm-hmm. You know, teenagers are naturally assholes. But then you have someone like me who's got that assholeless tendency as a teenager. It didn't always, I, I could, I could steamroll people. I yeah. could steamroll right over them. And there wasn't a lot of nuance. I'm fucking right and you're fucking wrong, right? Um, and then as I got older and you have experiences and I was lucky enough to have people around me who deeply loved me, mm-hmm. who were able to hold me accountable, right. to challenge me in ways that were loving, um, to watch shit crash and burn down around me and then ask me like why do you think this crashed and burned and then not be like ha ha and throw it in my face right. and be like I told you so but be like okay so we learned a lesson here right let's rebuild not all of us have that mm-hmm. and so yes I've always been this way but I haven't I haven't been able to harness it and utilize it I'm sure this stuff I know there's stuff that I still gotta learn right, right? 20 years from now it'll be some other things right and mm-hmm. so that that's always that's that's always that's always a lesson but in terms of just being someone who's been outgoing yes have mm. I been someone who's always been outgoing and emotionally whole no mm. um and there's in many of those ways being this kind of child and then being this kind of child and being chubby and then at some point right. being fat and being black and being dark skin and mm. what we know now happens to dark skin black girls who look like me and who act like me I grew up with a lot of triggers around like feeling like I need to shrink myself. Right. Not feeling emotionally whole. And so then getting into relationships that uh, were abusive. Right. Um, and emotionally, physically, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And another question is, you know, with your few, four beautiful children. I have six. Oh, six. Your six, six kids. beautiful children. <laughs> so how, what is the process like? Because, you know, with you knowing so much of like the reality of the world, the reality of being a black person, a black woman in this world. So it's just like preparing them for the world and just having them understanding and like just letting them know all those things and also with the eating. Like, I mean, for me, I just model the behavior. Right. My okay. kids cuss like sailors. I don't say anything because mm. I'm not going to stop cussing. Right. right. So I teach them some weird version of code switching. You can't say these things outside of this house in certain Cality. spaces. You can't use these words towards people in this way because it's violent. Mm. Right. But in the house, from the youngest to the oldest, it's fucking damn and goddamn and bitch all day, every day. Mm-hmm. And if you, for some people, if they were in my house and heard my kids talk, and the way that I talk around my children, they would maybe deem me a bad mother if right. that's the way that they measure success, successful parenting. Right. Right? I try to model honesty for my children. Mm-hmm. Right? I try to... My eating habits, my kids have been making a shift, not because I've told them to. Right. Because they've seen me do it. I see. I've, I've never told my kids, except when they're eating too much sugar. Right. That, because sugar is sugar is a drug. It is. Let's be very clear. It's coke. A lot of us are walking around here with a sugar addiction. And it's serious. And we diminish it and we say it very casually, but it has real effects on our yes. body and our mental health. Yes. 
right? So when I see them in consuming too much sugar, I will step in and intervene. Mm-hmm. And if that means you're not getting any more money to school until you can make some better decisions. So, but outside of that, I've never told my kids, oh, you can't have a hamburger or you need to have a salad. You I know, think. if there's something they didn't want for dinner, I'm not one of those parents. That's, I'm not a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Now, I will routinely make two or three different entrees so they can choose. Okay, that's if love. None of them, <laughs> that's love. If none of them appeal to them, I'm always like, well, you can go in this refrigerator and figure out what you want. Mm-hmm. I'm not making another meal. On occasion, if I got it like that, here's a few dollars. Right. You want to buy Chinese food? Go ahead and buy Chinese food. Mm-hmm. But I also ask them to think about how do you think that eating three days of Chinese food has affected you thus far? Mm. My daughters can identify when their skin is not looking well. And they already know that as teenagers, hormonally, you go through... I had acne as a teen. They're mm. going to have acne as a teen. It's, it's hereditary. Right. Right? But there are times where you're making a situation worse by what you're choosing to consume. Right. My daughters will tell me there'll be times they'll be like, I need to drink more water. You sure do. Because I just mm. went to the bathroom behind you, sis. And whoo, <laughs> you got to drink more water. <laughs> right? So we have those types of conversations. We relabels together. But I'm not dogmatic about it. Because right. we're also teens. If there ever is a time... Where you can eat a whole cheeseburger and have a slice of pizza. It's going to be here. But I tell them, I want for you to understand that. I want you to take note of some of these lessons because things change. Mm -hmm. Your body will change. You will have to change if you choose to. If you think it's going to benefit you, you need to make changes with your body. Right. There's certain shit that I cannot. Listen, 39. I eat fucking tomato sauce. And I'm like, where are the tums? Yeah. <laughs> I got heartburn like a motherfucker. Times be changing. Times be changing. Yes, I'm you know, there. there's just shit that just don't rock with me no right. more. I, you, I could consume, but when I was 20-something years old, like it was nothing. Now mm. my body be like, mm, girl, you better Not get today. you a regular slice of pizza. Don't get that deep dish, girl. Don't you think there's, about There's, there's too pepper. much tomato sauce on that, girl. <laughs> and I tomato am, sauce really be doing that? Tomato sauce, because tomatoes are highly acidic. Yeah, acidic. When I make spaghetti sauce in my house, I really do have to put, like, honey in the spaghetti sauce. Wow. To take the acidity out. Because it, it a lot of times I just make it from scratch now. Right. Because I can't take the jarred stuff. Mm-hmm. Because when they put too much sugar in it to cut the acidity. I just, for me, for my kids, I tried, like, I just know the dogma doesn't work. Right. I know dogma doesn't work. In anything, whether it's health, whatever, mm. dogma does not work. Right? That is really beautiful that that you, I like, I just admire how you inform your children, number mm. one. Like, you know, they know exactly what you're doing and what it, what it is that you're asking of them. Mm. And then you also just allow the ability to just choose, make mm. their own decisions. That's, that's beautiful, and I admire that. Thank um, you. And I'm taking notes, for sure. Um, <laughs> Thank you. So we are going to go into the next segment. Before mm-hmm. we do, is there anything else that you want to um, touch on or say before we go into the next segment? I mean, I'm sure that you will put in all my information, how people can keep in touch with me, how mm-hmm. they can join my Patreon. Oh, you can do, say that. Just go you ahead. know, my Patreon is where people get recipes. I do demos. I have videos. I write essays. I'm starting to put my personal essays on there. Okay. Um, it's still very food-centric, but I throw some other stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are a higher tier, like this Friday, I have my first, my first digital one-on-one cooking lesson coming up. I create cooking lessons specifically for for folks mm-hmm. um, based on what their preferences are. I send you assessments. So if people want to become a patron, you can do that. But even, okay. even if you're a $5 patron, you get a lot for that $5. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a GoFundMe. This is the year 2020 that we are manifesting that we are going to get a space for the Alice Fields Community Center for Women and Girls, yes. um, which will be a mixed-use retail and community space mm-hmm. um, that brings together both empowerment and community 
um, for black women and femmes and teen girls and children um, and like that bougie retail space. We were, tell- we're selling artisanal ice cream. We've okay. got a small commercial kitchen. You can come in and get fancy cheeses and use your food stamp card to do that. Say less. Right. <laughs> okay? Because I go into those places and they act like they can't, those places could take food stamps if they wanted to. They don't. I'm at Flatbush though. A, a place just opened up. It's like um, a knockoff uh, Whole Foods. It's mm-hmm. called Wholesome 360. Mm-hmm. I know Wholesome 360. And they do not take EBT. They do not take EBT. Okay. Not because they can't. And it affects the bottom line. It actually doesn't make sense for them not to take EBT. Right. But they say it is better for our bottom line to make this a place that feels very exclusive and very she-she and very bougie. And that there are certain undesirables that are not going to come in here with their little screaming, snotty-nosed kids and they EBT card. I'm giving it to you real. Right. The Bronx used to be very Italian in certain parts. Mm-hmm. And there are still places that do fresh pasta, which is my preference. I've never like had one fresh of the things I, well, I'm going in the kitchen today <laughs> to make fresh pasta. I bought an attachment. Okay. I said, fuck y'all. Luigi can suck my whole you know what. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Right. Because when I called and was like, hey, do you take food stamps? The lady was like, no, 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 and hung up on me. Oh no. Mind you, they're existing in communities where the vast majority of people are now black and brown. Right. Italians are not the majority anymore, and it's in their best interest. But they would much rather contract with the restaurants in Little Italy and Mm. downtown and do that than to allow Tanisha and me and Shaquita to come in there and Mm. Consuela to come in with our food stamps and buy food stamps there. Mm. So I'm like, well, fuck that. I'm now going to teach people how to make fresh pasta. And that's one thing I wanted to say, too. Um, you really want to go quick, out, baby? Before we go into the, the last segment, too, when it comes to Mama Tanya's Kitchen, one thing I appreciate, because I'm, like, I'm not vegan anymore, but I was vegan for a little bit, but it's just, like, that whole thing when it comes to eating healthy, and, like, people just assume, just because I'm vegan, like, they assume that that's the only way that I think you should be, when mm-hmm. it's like, no, there was a whole journey to this. Because mm-hmm. before eating, like, getting to the quinoa and stuff, I ate a lot, a lot way horrible mm-hmm. um, before. So that's why I appreciate you, for one, and it's like your, your the food that you do show, it's, like, diverse. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not just getting, like, soul food recipes. Like, you're going to no, get I'm, Asian, I'm ready to go like, in the kitchen and make goosey. See, like, and that's why I was just like, some of the stuff here, I'm just like, yo, I know her kids is like culture as heck and like. And also this idea around health, right? This mm-hmm. idea of healthy. In this country, idea of healthy, I understand why a lot of people don't want to eat healthy. Right. Niggas don't want flaxseed. Right. Niggas don't want chia seed. I mean, they're, I mean. I like chia seed. Let, let's, I mean, so do I. I yeah. put chia seed and fuck everything. Yeah. If, if, it's, if it's a fucking, if it's any kind of sauce, I'm like, throw some chia seed yeah. in. Right? Um, and I like flaxseed too. Yeah, I do. Right? Um, but, but I also know like flaxseed is better for your digestive system if you grind it. Right. I just like right? that. Um, and so... And also, like, these things were already a part of our diet. Europeans come, take it from us, demonize us, make us seem like peasants, learn about the benefits of it from us, then turn around and sell it back to you and make it seem like it was theirs. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of our shit gets washed down, Mm -hmm. right? So, like, this idea, like, actually, I'm going to make it goosey, but I got to run out and actually go to the African Mart and see if I can find some groundy goosey. This shit was already with us, right? We have this idea of health that feels very white, that feels right. very bland, right? Poach this, bake that, 
roasted this on a bed of something raw. Mm-hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Sometimes, because sometimes that's just easy for me. So that's what I'll do. Right. I'm just going to sear this salmon real quick. That's exactly. And then put it on a bed of baby The spinach. reason why I would do that. But that's right. That's why I'm doing it because it's quick. Mm-hmm. But it's boring. I just need something to eat right now. But this is why I'm a big fan of sauces and purees. Mm-hmm. If you can get something that's cult- some sort of cultural relevant sauce, well, now you can take that bland ass salmon on a bed of something and that one little sauce mm-hmm. right can ratchet it up and and make it use someplace else it's a flavor profile of some other country mm-hmm. but also like a lot of us are not eating our ancestral foods right like i've just come to the table like i ate west african food out it never occurred to me i could make west african food in my home i don't know why but it wasn't until like this year i was like you know i could make dibby it's because everything that's African seems so far, like. But that's so, this because like, this country place. makes it seem exactly. that way. We were taught that. We were taught that. Mm-hmm. We they took our shit. Even come down to like a second language. Someone pointed out like why don't like why no black people want to learn a black language for a second language. Let me say something. My other daughters joke. walk around just as a joke, and they'll do like faux British accents. Uh-huh. My little mini me, the only one of my kids that I actually call her mini me. She's uh-huh. my shadow, Lola. <laughs> She's my ten year old. She be walking around doing her little fucking jacked up West African accent. She, she be like, what is this? <laughs> what is this? Mama, what is this? I'm like, where did you get that from? Because now in our home, we always were a proud black family. Mm-hmm. It has only been recently where I've really started to want to internalize myself. Right? And I mean, it's nuanced, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not a continental African. I'm never going to claim to be a continental African. I know that there are different ways that we see race, ethnicity, tribalism, all that kind of shit, Mm -hmm. right? And so there are conversations that West Africans have that don't got nothing to do with me. Right. I will be lurking. I'll be learning. I'll be learning. I'll be like, okay. (laughs) I I listen to West African pop music, Afrobeat. Mm -hmm. I listen to some of the older Afrobeat, Fila Kuti, Roy Ayers, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Miriam Makiba, but I'm not a continental West African, mm-hmm. but I have just as much claim to the legacy right. of West Africanness as continental Africans. Mm-hmm. And nobody's going to take that from me. I don't care how many badly written uh, articles continental Africans write about black Americans wearing dashikis and appropriate West African I culture. Care. I cannot appropriate something that is my birthright. Right. I have just as much, I have just as much access to that legacy is any continental African. Mm-hmm. I didn't choose to be here, right, right? Right. And I won't, at the same time, deny what sprung up from the enslavement of mm-hmm. continental Africans and mixed with all the other shit on this land of America that created Black Americans mm-hmm. because we do have culture. Yes. Right. And now something I'd growing up because I'm from Compton. Mm-hmm. And growing up, I remember me and my brother, we had those conversations just like, what is our culture? What is our culture? So it was... Our culture is American culture. Right. Let's call a thing a thing. Mm-hmm. When they export American culture, mo- the vast majority of time, they are exporting some version of black American yes. culture. Yes. We created this country. Yes, yes. And whatever they stole from indigenous folks. Mm-hmm. Right? So when the Moors, what they fucked up shit, be talking about <laughs> we are the true indigenous Americans. I mean, like, eh, there's a lot of anti-blackness <laughs> in that. But there are pieces of it where I'm like, nah, I ain't even gonna hold you. Yes. Mm-hmm. I am American. Not in a way that white folks mean American. Right. But right. we built this America. This is 
our country culturally mm -hmm. in terms of the labor that's been stolen, exploited, underpaid. Absolutely. Yes. Right? So um, it is very weird sometimes, though, to exist in that space. It kind of feels like sometimes like cultural purgatory. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily, I feel like black Americans in the and when it comes to the diaspora, we constantly get shitted on. Uh, right? Yes. Um, and while some black... Many of us as black Americans also don't have an understanding of even what diaspora is and think that we have a monopoly on what blackness looks like, mm -hmm. right? So it's always swirling around that. And it's it, it, it can be sticky trying to raise children to have this multiplicity and consciousness right. around blackness. What I have to tell myself as a black parent is, girl, you ain't got to teach it all to them. Right. They don't all have to know okay. about 18. Mm -hmm. just, they just need to know that you a vessel. Right. They just need to know that you are a conduit. They mm -hmm. just need to know that you are a port. That they can come and dock in you, right? And that they can come and ask you questions. Mm -hmm. And that y'all can explore things together, right? They just need to know that they can come back to you with questions, right? right? Um, and you have to know that you can trust for them. You've given them enough resources and enough... Um, you know, nurture their pre their precociousness enough and 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 their inquisitiveness okay. enough that if they want to go out in the world and have their own experiences, right? Mm -hmm. Then they will. Right. And then sometimes y'all ain't gonna see the eye to eye. That's okay. And sometimes when you thought they wasn't gonna get it, they gonna come right back to you and be like, mm, mm -hmm. "Girl, I'm right here, eye to eye." You know. <laughs> and so that's the best that I can do as a parent is just trying to be open and. Um, just nurture my children to be open as well and to ask questions right. and to challenge them and to be all right with them sometimes not liking me when I challenge them. Right. And sometimes don't challenge them. Mm -hmm. Give them enough space that they need to go out there and either be successful and let them own that success. Mm -hmm. That ain't your success, sis. That's their success. Right. Right? Or to, like, fall on their face and be like, not be like, eh, told right. you. You should have done what I told Like, and just be like, woo, woo, woo. Come on, girl. Just dust they show, mm -hmm. do the, the proverbial, the figurative kissing of the boo-boos, mm -hmm. you know? And that's it. That's just like the approach I try to take. That's beautiful. Well, let's go into the last segment, mm -hmm. and that's to love a black woman. So that's where you, Tanya, you get to say something that you either love about yourself, you can say something that you love about a particular black woman, so mom, sister, cousin, auntie, daughter, or mm -hmm. you can say something that you love about black women in general. Mm -hmm. You're on. I love how black women love on each other. Don't nobody gasp you like a black woman gas you. Yeah. You be look, we don't even know each other. We be in I'm the street. I'm trying not to say nothing right now. Right. <laughs> we, we be in the street. Be like, yes, come through, lipstick. Okay, I see you, pants. All right, melanin. Okay, hair. Okay. Yes, sis. We see each other. Mm -hmm. We see each other. Mm -hmm. Black women see each other. And I love that so much about black women. There's so much that we need to heal and have mm -hmm. conversations because none of us can come... None of us can exist in a world that is like rooted in such sickness right. and, and not get sick ourselves. Mm -hmm. But even through that, there's so much about us that's right. There's so much about us that's healthy. There's so much that we recognize in ourselves that mm -hmm. we want to reflect back onto right. each other. That the way that we love each other, when we love on each other... That's some that's some life affirming powerful shit, and I don't think I don't think nobody does it the way black girls nah. do. It. No, no one like us. No one like us. <laughs> no, no one. Um, I will be tagging all of your information, but if Thank you can you. go ahead and just if you want to just share it. Sure, people can find me on Instagram under Tanya T A N Y A D F 
or Mama Tanya's Kitchen, M-A-M-A -A, Tanya's Kitchen. Um, you can find me on uh, Twitter mm -hmm. as B-L-K-G-R-L-I-N-C. Um, also Mama T-S Kitchen. Um, you can find my organization, The Black Feminist Project, blackfeministproject.org. Also on Facebook, The Black Feminist Project. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you can find me on Patreon, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash Mama Tanya. Beautiful. And um, if you guys are interested in me personally, Samanji, follow me on Instagram at underscore Samanji. Um, but please be sure to follow Avocado and Honey on all social media platforms at Avocado and Honey. And yes, we are weekly now. So um, make sure you subscribe to Avocado and Honey on whatever you're listening to this episode on because there will be another episode next week. And we still will be having videos out. Um, thank you for always tuning in and for your support. As always, you are appreciated. Bye. Bye. And I work so goddamn hard. Now I love the girl I become.